We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Blue Wire. Hello and welcome to the Eurostep episode 26. I'm Kane Pittman and I'm joined by Ty Windish as always. And Ty, we signed off the last episode by saying or hoping that we would have a different mood with our post-game one podcast. And uh, while that looked in a little bit of danger, uh, in the end, uh, we, we got a good result. We did. I don't know about you, but... I just it, – it didn't feel horrible to me during this game for the Bucks. I, I just I, – the Bucks win 108-100 over Toronto in game one after trailing, uh, I think – what were they up? 8-0 early, and then they gave that up, and then they trailed the whole rest of the game until the fourth quarter, and, and then they didn't anymore, I guess is the most succinct way to put it. But when the shots don't fall, I just I always have this confidence that they will eventually. So I kind of thought this could happen. Where were you at on this game during? Yeah, no, I was I really was feeling pretty good and and you know in the end the Bucks end up winning 108-100 on the back of a 32 to 17 fourth quarter. Uh the Bucks finally get some shots to go uh in that fourth quarter and able to come from behind to win. Uh I look, I I this was something that uh, that I was talking about at the game, and uh, I had a conversation with uh, Eric Name at halftime, and we sort of looked at each other and said, "Well, you know, I, I feel like this is what we said uh, the Raptors. Uh, this is a way we said the Raptors could hurt the Bucks if they make a make a heap of shots, and uh, they were doing that. The Bucks weren't. Uh, I think the good or the good news or the positive for the Bucks were that they were hanging around in the game, and as we've seen so many times before." Uh, the Bucks can sustain this pressure, and eventually the damn wall breaks, and, and we saw that uh, for for the Bucks. Uh, uh, you know, fortunately, it happened. <laughs> it happened late. 
but it happened, and we've seen that so many times before. And in the end, uh, you know, you were looking at a game that, for the most part, looked like it could come down to maybe the last possession or so. Uh, the Bucks end up winning by eight points, and uh, really, uh, there was one guy that uh, the Bucks had no chance of winning this game without, and that was Brook Lopez. Yeah, I think can we can we put the Brook Lopez can he play in the play yeah can he play in the playoffs question to rest it it just, it sickens me to even use those words in that order after what happened last night Brook Lopez after starting off cold continuing his cold streak from the Boston series ends with twenty one shots which is insane for him twelve for twenty one from the field four for eleven from deep one for two from the three point line eleven rebounds. Rare double-double for Brook Lopez to go with his 29 points. That's team high. 29 points for Brook Lopez. Four blocks, too. Continue to do the defensive things we've seen from him. But, wow, just just getting involved everywhere late, going on personal scoring runs in that in that fourth quarter. I think in the third quarter he might have had one, too. I think he did. Um, just a huge performance from him. The only he led the Bucks player in three pointers made definitely led them in three pointers attempted. My favorite play though might have been the the weird slow two on one fast break with uh, him and Middleton against Lowry, where Chris just like takes up as much time as possible mm-hmm. so Lopez can get to the play and then sort of dunk on Kyle Lowry. Although it wasn't the most intense or, or beautiful slam you've ever seen in your life. That whole play, I was just wondering. How can no one else for either team be in the frame right now? What a weird play, but it ended up being super important. Yeah, I, I that I mean that was at such an important uh, time in the game as well there in the fourth quarter. But I, I think for Lopez, this is something we've seen a little bit uh, at times where look, we know he's gonna he's gonna let it fly from the outside, and you touched on the twenty one shots. He has eleven three point attempts. Uh, ends up making four of those, which is not too bad. So he's shooting 36 percent on the day. You'll take that. Uh, I think the really, really important thing for Brook Lopez was, and it started in the second quarter because you could see that he was getting frustrated. And, and it's not uh, it's not something that Lopez can hide. <laughs> when he's frustrated, you know he shows all his emotions. And he was getting frustrated that the outside shot was not falling. And in some cases... It was not close to falling. He threw a couple like directly off the backboard. Uh, he was missing by a long, long way. Importantly, he was able to get on the uh, offensive glass and get a couple of putbacks. So when you look at the 12 made field goals for Lopez uh, and only four of, them, four of them are from the outside, he gets eight other baskets inside uh, the perimeter. And I think that that was really, really important because, look, not the biggest, biggest uh, rebounding uh, accumulator, in the league, Brooke Lopez, I think that's fair to say, but he gets his eleven because he has four on the offensive glass. The offensive glass was a was a was an area that the Bucks really, really played well. They they out rebounded the Raptors fifteen to eight on the offensive glass. Uh, they were able to get second chance opportunities, but Lopez, uh, it was really one of those games to me where he realized that look, I need to do other stuff because this is not working for me standing on the perimeter and shooting. Uh, we know the way that game five went against Boston where he didn't do much else. He had seven shots. They were all from the outside. He missed all of them. He wasn't able to be a defensive influence and you already touched on the four blocks last night. So just really the complete game from Lopez and for mine, I mean, by far the best game he's played 
uh, as a buck, and, and I, I tweeted it after. But when I when I was sort of sitting in that uh, press conference room and and looking at Lopez out there, I just I, I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that this guy uh, led the Bucks to a, to a win in the conference finals, and he's uh, the Bucks signed him for for three million dollars. And just away from a team that was just absolutely dying for someone to do the things he did. Like, they needed it so badly. Tough. Tough tough scene. Uh, not for the Bucks though. Um, you mentioned the offensive rebounding. I think that was huge, especially in the sort of the slog part of the game where the Bucks trailed consistently, brought it close a couple of times. Uh, it seemed like... The Raptors, and especially Kyle Lowry, who best playoff game of his life, I would say. I mean, it's going to hurt legacy-wise for him that the Raptors don't get the win. And not his legacy, but I just mean like the sort of like the ethos, or the, not the ethos, but like the myth of this game. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But it's going to feel less special to Raptors fans, I guess, is the simple way of saying it. Because they don't win this game, but my goodness, a wild night from Kyle Lowry shooting seven for nine <laughs> from three-point range. That's just obscene that's excessive like i don't know if steph has ever done that but um milwaukee doesn't let this game get out of hand while lowry is nailing all those i think in a large part due to those offensive boards brooke has four Giannis has four and on a day where i don't think he did a, a lot else that was great nico miritich grabs three as well and it seemed like he got some really timely ones for the bucks so and then uh, Bledsoe, Ursan, Brogdon, and Patsy all got one as well. So just nice to see this team finding other ways to win that aren't necessarily, you know, the usual sort of equation for a Bucks victory. Yeah, and and they had to do that. It, it was one of those nights. And uh, look, uh, I, look, I, I want to talk about Larry because – this is a guy that when I was analyzing the series and obviously with, with you on, on the Eurostep and, and other you know, radio spots and that sort of stuff, I, I said that Larry is the guy that when, when you're looking at this series, he can be such a big factor for Toronto and he needs to be a big factor for them. But I really questioned whether he was going to be able to get over whatever the problem was with, with, with playing uh, against Eric Bledsoe and George Hill to a lesser extent. So... I thought that this was such a mental thing for Larry and I questioned whether he was going to be able to get over it because, you know, as you sort of touched on, this this wasn't just uh, a problem he's had with Bledsoe in the regular season. He hasn't been great in the playoffs either and he does a lot of little things that uh, often aren't recorded. I know Nick Nurse was has really been stressing that point, but, uh, you know, to be fair, uh, Nick Nurse should do that if he's a good coach because he has to try and get this guy feeling good about himself somehow. Uh, and and Larry wasn't shooting the ball well. Uh, he wasn't scoring the ball a lot or as much as they would need. So uh, I was, I mean, this is this was an incredible game for Larry. And, and to do that in game one on the road after all the things we've seen against Bledsoe was, was just a ridiculous performance from him. I mean, he, he hit shots early. Uh, and that was key, and he hit three threes in the first quarter, and I was like, okay, well, look, Larry's, Larry's feeling a little bit here, but it, it just didn't go away, and there was there was a stretch in the fourth quarter. He hit a big three to give them the lead, 86-84. A couple of possessions after that, he, he hit this ridiculous step-back uh, contested shot that his foot was just on the line, uh, thankfully for the Bucks, but... Uh, this guy was just hitting shots all all night long, and uh, I think you you have to give 
uh, a lot of credit to, to Kyle Lowry. And, and you talk about offensive rebounds. He gets three himself, and a couple of them were in traffic. Uh, this guy uh, really stepped up in, in a way that I didn't think that he would or I didn't think that he could uh, with this matchup, to, to be honest. So uh, for the Raptors now, uh, it's I just don't think that that's a performance you know, you can afford to waste in a series like this, particularly on the road when the Bucks have home court advantage, uh, a really stunning game from Lowry. But as you sort of pointed out, at the end of the night, he walks off the court. And I'm not sure what he's thinking because can he shoot that well again? I, don't, I mean, I don't think so. I, I mean, it's ridiculous. 10 for 15 from the field, 7 for 9 from 3. So for the Raptors to see that uh, performance go to waste, in some ways, and and this is maybe a little bit extreme, but it reminded me of, and I was thinking about this last night with the Bucks on the road in Game One last year against Boston, where Middleton hits that half court shot, and then the Bucks go ahead and lose. And I think there's some things that can happen at the start of a series that can can really alter the whole uh, matchup. And and you if you can't take advantage of these crazy things that happen or or uh, sort of outlier things that happen, then and then you can look back and say, well, that was a wasted opportunity, and maybe that maybe this is one of those those moments for Toronto. I think it certainly is, especially because you know we we were sort of off base with who it would be, but I think a big part of our analysis before the series was okay. Well, let's assume Kawhi gets his. He, we haven't talked about him yet. He did. I mean. 26 shots, 31 points. It was a great scoring game for him. I mean, 10 for 10 on free throws. He only shoots one for five on threes. I think the Bucks tried to take that away from him very consciously. I thought Chris Middleton did a really good job. I mean, you, you can live with that. He's Kawhi Leonard. He's going to score points, at least make it sort of hard for him. He shot well under 50%, so that's fine. They get big contribution from one other guy. We expected more Pascal Siakam. He was not that effective. When Giannis was on him, he wasn't effective at all. 15 points for Siakam on 20 shots, two for nine from three. Again, we we talked, especially I think I talked about this before the series. I mean, you'll live with him. If he's going to beat you from three, and it's kind of the same with Lowry, honestly. You just kind of live with that. That's just, okay, we can't take away everything, fine. In game one, Siakam did not beat you from three. So he gives you 15, and then we already talked about Lowry. He added 30. So between those three guys, you have 76 points. Nobody else scores more than six on the Raptors. Marcus All, after nailing a three, a couple threes early, doesn't make another shot. Did not look that comfortable shooting. Looked like he would prefer to do a dribble handoff. Uh, he ends with six points. It's just not enough. Danny Green continues to not be able to shoot the ball that well. He ends with six points, but I think three or two or three of three of them on uh, an Eric Bledsoe mistake foul from three point range. You look at the bench. After Fred Van Vliet and Norm Powell start hot, they don't finish hot. Six points for Powell, two for Van Vliet, and Serge Ibaka adds four and 17 bench minutes too. This is kind of what we expected from the Raptors' complimentary pieces. So I agree with you. I think you get that kind of a game from Lowry, who's not a guy you can rely on for 30 points. There's no guy you can rely on to go seven for nine from three. It doesn't happen often, almost ever. I just don't know what the Raptors walk away from this saying, oh, if we just continue to do this or this or change this one thing, then we can win, especially because even with the late run, still a way under variance game for the Bucs from three-point range, 25% from three. You know, if they even shoot 
30, 32%, which is still below average. I mean, this thing is all of a sudden a double-digit win for the Bucs. It's, it's tough for Toronto to look at this, I think. Yeah, for sure. I will say, and look, I, I give a lot of credit to these sort of uh, non-Kawhi Raptors players. Now, I think that the Bucks were allowing a lot of this, but uh, one of my big sort of, uh, I guess, takes before the series or, or ways that the Raptors can really beat the Bucks and try, give the Bucks trouble in this series was they need to shoot threes because they're going to get open threes. And these other guys, uh, whether it's Siakam or Gasol or, or Green, Lowry, all these guys, they, they Barker, they need to shoot the threes that the Bucks give them. Uh, and my question was, are these guys going to be aggressive and are they going to take those looks that, that they're given? Now, early in the game, they were doing that and they were hitting them. And I, as I was watching the game, I was thinking to myself, well, okay, this, this, this could potentially sort of change my perspective, perspective on what the series is going to be. Now, I, I wasn't concerned from the, from the Bucks' point of view because the, the Raptors were just scorching the nets. And I, I did tweet at one point that, okay, uh, the Raptors are, are really shooting, shooting these shots from the outside. Uh, but they're making them. So what's going to happen when they start to miss? Are they going to go back in their shell a little bit? I think they did. Uh, you already touched on Gasol. Yeah, I, I think he did. For him, as I said in the last podcast, he only averaged seven field goal attempts per game uh, as a Raptor. He had 11 last night. So look, he did look for his shot a little bit more. I think that was more so early in the game uh, when the shots didn't were, were missing. Uh, that uh, sort of hesitation started to creep in for him pascal siakam this is the interesting one for me because look i thought he was dangerous early he threw down uh, a huge dunk uh, with lopez in the vicinity uh there in the late in the first quarter uh hits a couple of threes but this is a great number for the for the bucks uh pascal siakam going two for nine for three as, as you already touched on because the bucks do not want him getting into the pain. He is such a, a, a clever shot maker uh, or, or shot creator once he gets into the paint. Uh, he's super long. Uh, he, he uses the glass well and, and can finish in the paint. So the Bucks want him shooting, and he took those shots. So I, I think this was a little bit of both here where the Ra- where for the Raptors, he needs to keep shooting them, but the Bucks are like, okay, well, hey, keep going because if, if you don't make them, we're going to get in your head and make you, uh, you know, hesitate about whether you should be taking those shots. And if he starts to think that way, it's going to be tough for him to make them and the Bucks have, the Bucks have won that battle. But from Milwaukee's point of view, you talk about the outlier shooting. So the Bucks shoot uh, 25%. Uh, so... In games this season now, including the playoffs, where the Bucks shoot less than 26% from three, after last night, they are now eight and six. So uh, you think about a team now that's, that is, what would they be on the season? 69 and 23 on the season, including the playoffs, the Bucks 69 and 23, they're eight and six when they shoot less than 26%. So... Uh, that's generally not a good sign for this team. And the other number is when the Bucks shoot less than 26% from three and the opposition shoots greater than 35, as the Raptors did, they're only four and four. There are 500 teams. So uh, to pinch this game in the conference finals in game one, uh, that's, that's, that's huge for Milwaukee. Yeah, I would say I'm surprised their records are those good in that, that good in those scenarios. But 
I guess it just speaks to how great this team is. Um, did it seem to you like the Raptors kind of gummed up and went more sort of isolation? We'll have guys, especially especially Lowry, and he kind of earned the right too, I feel like. But I, it felt to me like they played less team ball late in the game, and that I think is always a reason why you could see less three-pointers falling. Yeah, I think that's a fair call. Watching Leonard was such a crazy thing last night. I mean, I guess that has been the whole playoffs, but I was sitting there and I was trying to think through what the Bucks want. I mean, when Leonard has the ball in his hands, because to me, before the Celtics series, you think about how good Kyrie Irving is handling the ball and how good he can be as a as a shot creator. And for Irving, that really went out the window the longer the series went because the more he dribbled, the more comfortable the Bucks felt that they could push him into a difficult shot. I sort of felt that way last night with Kawhi. Obviously, it's a little bit different because Kawhi has such a such a great size advantage over um, you know someone like Irving, and and he can just rise up and and get a shot off at at all times. But geez, he takes some tough shots. He is a tough shot taker, Kawhi Leonard. And uh, a lot of the credit has to go to Middleton. And I thought Brogdon, who defended him quite well, but, uh, you know, and, and the Bucks. So, so Middleton obviously always had a hand in his face. Uh, and Lopez was obviously there to back him up if, if Leonard sort of penetrated the paint. But, geez, he takes tough, tough shots. And if you look at the line of 10 for 26 shooting, uh, the Bucks are not going to care if Leonard gets 30 points if it takes him 26 shots to get there. Uh, I just thought the Bucks did an excellent job of, of forcing him into those tough sort of fading uh, mid-range shots that he does like to take. But then even for him, it's it's not a really high percentage shot. No, and then I think the other stat with Leonard, which kind of sort of shows you why this is something a lot of people talk about with him, all those touches – all that time dominating the ball, two assists. That's often, or long for I think probably as long as he's been a sort of you know since he made the switch from oh fun young defensive player to oh this guy might be a superstar. That's been the one thing aside from you know obviously like the weird exit with the Spurs and Uncle Dennis and whatever else. <laughs> but the one on court thing has been well he's great defender, great scorer from everywhere, but maybe he doesn't move the ball with the best of them. And I think that was that was on display today. And then when his shot wasn't falling in the fourth quarter, I think non-Lowry Raptors were like 0 for 15 in the fourth quarter or something wild like that, which I'm sure that is something the Raptors will point to and say this is this is why we can win the next games, whatever else. But, um, the, you know, when the shot isn't falling, if you're not going to be able to make the right passes, then your possessions just aren't, doing anything and it's easy to say that i mean i don't think it's very instructive to say you know missing all your shots is bad like duh of course it is but i just mean you know people always talk about how Giannis is limited when he can't get to the paint or whatever else well in a way Kawhi is limited if the bucks defense is going to continue to do a good job on him and he's not going to consistently move the ball and find open shooters or cutters or better looks yeah, yeah. There's no doubt about that. I, I want, one thing I'm 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 interested in, and when you look at the fourth quarter, and I, I already mentioned the 32 to 17 fourth for the Bucks. Uh, I, I mean, how much of a factor is fatigue in this? Because 
we know from watching the Bucks all year, and we saw it often. And and, and in the Celtics series, the third quarter was the was the key stretch uh, or the series defining quarter in that series. But last night it was the fourth quarter after the Bucks. For the most part, felt like they were just really just hanging on in the third quarter. It was the fourth where the Bucks were able to take over, and uh, I'm just looking at the box score in the minutes for this game. So Kawhi Leonard, 42 minutes. Siakam, 42. Gasol, 39. Uh, Green, 35. And Kyle Lowry, 40. So the lowest minute total for, for the starters for Toronto is 35 uh, for Danny Green. There's only one Bucks starter that gets over that, and that's Giannis with just 37. So it was kind of interesting watching this unfold through the game because... Nick Nurse clearly does not feel comfortable uh, playing at all with Kawhi Leonard off the floor. I mean, it just feels like this team completely uh, collapses as soon as Leonard uh, gets on the bench. So he was really, really hesitant to to play at all uh, with Leonard off the floor, whereas on the other end, Bud, he just doesn't care. He's like, I'm getting Giannis' rest. He's like, "I I don't care what the game situation is. I'm getting Giannis' rest. And Giannis is going to be at full force in the fourth quarter. And I think we saw that again. I mean, when you look at the minutes, Giannis to play 37, only 37 minutes in a game that the Bucks were down by close to double digits for almost the first three quarters. And Bud just didn't panic. He said, I, I don't really care about that. I'm going, to, I'm going to ride some of the other guys. George Hill again, 27. Brogdon, 26. Uh, but, you know, even Bledsoe, under 30 minutes for Bledsoe. Milton only plays 34. There's been... A lot of talk about Bud's rotation and does he and, and and a lot of criticism. Like, does he need to play these starters more? Can he afford to keep playing the bench? I'm just I was sitting there watching that game and once the game finished, and I thought to myself, you know what? The Bucks wear teams down, and we've seen this through defensive energy and defensive effort, and this team, everything starts on the defensive end. But that takes a lot of that takes a lot of energy out of this team. And the fact that Bud keeps the minutes so even through the first three quarters, allows these guys to to get on top of teams in the fourth. And uh, I, it wasn't lost on me last night that this big fourth quarter may have had a lot to do with fatigue. No, I, I definitely think that it was noticeable, especially on the Raptors side, how sort of gassed everyone was. And I think that does contribute to you know a lot of those missed shots for the non all those missed shots for the non uh Lowry Raptors. Um I think there's interesting things to look at with the Bucks rotations. It felt like Bud kinda went away from Ursan who plays only fourteen minutes, which isn't a lot for him. And then Pat C only plays eleven. So some of the guys we're used to seeing contribute do play less. Nico Miritich playing twenty five I thought was interesting. I this is uh this is kind of a harsh pivot just because I, I don't have too much additional takes on, on the minutes. I think I think you're dead on. I, I think for I think it worked out in this game. I think for better or worse, that's going to be Bud's thing is let's get our guys rested so we can make sure they're in for crucial minutes. So that Giannis did sit sometimes in the fourth quarter. I wasn't sure about, but as you said, I mean, he played more minutes than everyone else. It's not like he wasn't out there all game. But personally, I'm of the mind that switching – Brogdon and Miritich and then having Miritich as the bench big and using less Ursan would be a good thing. And I'm curious to see where you're at with that. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I think there was a couple of things with the rotation. So first of all, Pat Connaughton only plays 10 minutes. 
that didn't surprise me because when when we sort of discussed this and we looked at the at the rotation and what was going to happen because Brogdon wasn't going to be wasn't going to stay at sixteen minutes. I mean, he was always going to come up and someone had to take a hit. So Pat Connaughton was was the obvious guy there. But again, I will, credit where credit's due. Pat Connaughton ten minutes, uh, six rebounds, got a really big offensive rebound. Uh, as he just did. He just came flying in from nowhere to get that. So I'm kind of cool with that. I'm cool with Pat playing 10 minutes of just stupid energy basketball. Like if that that works in the playoffs and if he comes in and, and if he comes in and gets a couple of offensive rebounds, you're like, okay, job done, Pat. You can you can like you can chill now. Let's get his come from behind block on Kawhi was just peak Patsy. Right, exactly that block as well. Uh, I mean that so for, for ten minutes from Pat, like okay, uh, we will take that. Remember he was playing, he was playing at, at a period of the game where uh, the Bucks were were really trying to hang on. So when you look at the plus minus for the game, the the starters numbers are a little bit inflated because of that that big run uh, to end the game. But Pat plays you know through the struggles and he ends up a, a plus one so that's probably indicative of of the energy he brought but the Ursan number to me has more to do with Brook Lopez playing 34 minutes because that's not a normal number for Lopez um, but uh, as I sort of said earlier there was a stretch through the second quarter where perhaps Lopez wouldn't play as much um, but Lopez had two uh Big offensive rebounds and putbacks, and then also hit a three. So there's a stretch of sort of seven points there for Lopez, where the Bucks were desperate for any type of offense. And I, I think it was just through circumstance that that Lopez um, or that Ersan sort of took that hit for Brook. I mean, you can't expect that type of night from Lopez every night because it was just, uh, I mean, absolutely insane. But uh, I think that's definitely why the rotation sort of played out the way it did last night. Miritich. I mean, I, I actually thought that Miritich defensively was pretty good. Uh, when he was put in situations where he had to defend one-on-one, he, he continues to sort of impress me, actually. Uh, he he can, and, and we talked, we spoke about this before the series, but his feet are pretty quick, and he doesn't really get blown by as easily as you would think he would, particularly with some of the guys that he's being asked to defend out there. Uh, the tough thing for Miritich is offensively, um, really no luck putting the ball on the floor. And when the Bucks were were struggling to find good shots, there was a couple of times where Miritich did try and, and drive to the, to the rim and it, it wasn't good. It, it, it did not look pretty at all. He ended up sort of th- trying to throw up sort of an ugly, uh, you know, flip shot a couple of times and it didn't work well and then he wasn't hitting the threes. So not a great offensive night for Miritich. And uh, I think... When you think about how you're going to judge a, a Miritich good or bad game, like I can, I can talk about his defense, and I thought it was pretty good. But um, you know, offensively, it, it's probably what most people are going to look at. And it was a rough night. And the easy thing to do is look at Brogdon hitting all those shots and say, "Okay, well, I'll just start Brogdon and take Miritich out." But uh, it's going to be interesting to me to see how that does play out because, in the end, I don't think it really matters who starts. I mean, Brogdon still plays more minutes than Miritich, so does it matter who's on the floor to start the game? I don't really think so. Miritich had a couple of three, uh, three-point attempts early in the game. If he hits those, then you probably change your whole you know, uh, idea of how this sort of will work. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen with that, but uh, all I will say is Brogdon, 
was super impressive. Yeah, I mean, he continues to drive. He continues to, uh, I mean, all all the things that that we're used to seeing Malcolm Brogdon do well. He's he's doing well again, and it's nice to see him sort of come back, come through, and uh, and just play with without it looks like any any too much worry or any nagging issues with that injury. I mean, I think you said after. Was it after the dunk or was it after a block? Yeah, the dunk. The dunk, yeah. He didn't have a block. I don't know what I was thinking of. But, yeah, after the dunk, you said, oh, looks like that uh, that foot is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, this is – it's always funny when someone comes back from such a long-term injury and foot and you know foot injuries are concerning. I mean, they are a concerning injury to have for any athlete. Uh, but uh, he said he was feeling 100%. And you're like, oh, you're like, okay, Malcolm, well, I mean, of course you're going to say that. Uh, I mean, what else are you going to say? You're not going to come out and say, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit worried about this or I'm, I'm 85%. Uh, but he's been he's been trying to assure anyone that will listen that he's 100% and he's ready to play. I mean, he looks – he really looked uh, as good – as he ever has last night, I didn't see any any concerns with anything. As I said, defensively he was on Kawhi. Uh, you know when Middleton was off the floor, and then down the other end he he's he's making shots. He's getting into the paint. Uh, you know three assists as well for Brogdon. Three for six from three. A team high plus eighteen on the box score. Twenty six minutes right. You know second game back, so he goes sixteen and straight to twenty six. So. I, I, you know, this was a real question mark for mine when you're trying to assess how far this Bucks team can go or what their absolute best is. You, they needed Malcolm Brogdon to be somewhere close to uh, his normal self. I think the big question now will be how does he recover with only one day off after playing 26? That that is gonna that's gonna be a question, and we're gonna have to wait and see. But uh, I, I don't think the early results could have been any more positive for for Malcolm. No, I agree. And just one last thing here, I think on Brogdon is I thought early in this game there were a couple moments that he came through and got a bucket, either a th- uh, I think mostly threes, but he also did have that nice dunk. But I, I think he kept the Bucks in this game where even we you know we talked about how Milwaukee always finds a way to stay involved, blah, 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 everything else. Brogdon was the guy who <laughs> – a couple times it felt like the Raptors were ready to really kind of open this thing up a little bit. I mean, they never got a huge lead. They never got too much past 10 points, it felt like. I have to go back and look, but it felt like the Bucks kept it to around there or lower for most of those three quarters when no threes are falling outside of Brogdon, but really thought he was crucial in making this one of these games where the Bucks could rely on, okay, we'll get back to what we do well and we can take this thing, and, and then they did. Yeah, I, I asked I asked Bud uh, that exact question after the game. I, I said, to me, you guys look like you're in a bit of trouble. And and as you already pointed out, when Brogdon hit those two threes, every t- when he hit both of them, I was like, man, they needed that in in the absolute worst way. And 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 Bud said that is part of his answer to my question. He just said, uh, yeah, yeah, Brogdon was phenomenal. I, I don't think we were very good as a group, and Malcolm was one of those guys that kept us afloat. So we already we already talked about Brook kind of keeping us afloat, and Brogdon really did it. I think what he's doing defensively is impressive. His second game back after not playing for a significant period of time, it's just impressive. We certainly needed him tonight, and I I think that uh, you know that's a pretty 
Um, straight up answer from Bud, but but that was it. They needed him. And, you know, when, when you think about how long he's missed to get that guy back and contributing in that manner, playing fourth quarter minutes uh, in a close playoff game, just big. Just big. I, I don't. I don't know. There's. There's no other way to. No other word to describe Brogdon. Uh, look, we. This is. This is the funny thing here. We've gone for 35 minutes already. We have not got a lot of time left, and we haven't even really spoke about Giannis or Chris or Bledsoe. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think that's a really, really positive sign for the Bucks. Giannis. Uh, we did talk about the minutes he played. He played 37 minutes. He finishes his 24 points, 14 rebounds, six assists, two, two steals, three blocks. Uh, just did what he's done all year, filled up the, the box score. Uh, 17, seven for 16 from the field. So it wasn't all easy going for him. Uh, had to work through, uh, look, some heavy contact in the, in, in the first half. But, you know, this is the playoffs. and uh, You can't get caught up in that and he didn't as he hasn't uh, all postseason long finishes with 12 free throw attempts on the game and as we see uh you know all the time with Giannis it, it was just in the end relentless uh, attack that appeared to just wear down the Raptors to the point where by the end of the fourth quarter you were like they don't really have much left in the tank to try and stop this guy who is just going to keep coming and coming and coming no, I, I agree, and I think when – and, you know, you have to kind of use the term uh, sort of modified, but when Giannis, you know, struggles or is quiet all by his standards, of course, a lot of times I, I start to look at, you know, after what the Bucks are doing offensively, I know the TNT guys were clamoring for more pick and rolls. Everyone who knows me knows I'm never against that, but I think one thing you have to look at is how are the Bucks doing defensively because – when they start to get those blocked shots and, and stop the Raptors from making everything, and it felt early in this game, first half, like the Raptors were making literally everything. But when that happens, it's usually harder for Giannis because we know how good he is in transition and, and against not all the way set defenses. And he's still an elite player, again, in the half court. It's not like he can't do anything, but he's just a guy where his the danger level goes up when he's moving with the ball in space or his teammates are. I mean, we all know this, and... I think you can see sometimes the things go hand in hand when the Bucks defense generates those stops and gets the ball moving early and some of those missed threes by the other team, you know, get rebounded and everyone starts moving back. That's when Giannis can do so much damage. And it's just one of those where once the Bucks defense tightened up and part of it was just the Raptors not making everything outside of Lowry, I think we just saw things open up a lot for him and, and he was able to find more success in the second half. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and just to, to your last point about the Raptors starting to miss shots, I, I think that, you know, sometimes this Bucks team, and, and I think they, they really understand it, that sometimes you just got to weather the storm. And at halftime, when, when you're in the game, uh, you're only down by eight, and you look and the Raptors are shooting 50% from three on a much, much higher volume than they usually shoot. Uh, I think these guys just look at each other and say, well, you know, we're just going to keep pushing, and eventually, the eventually the tide is going to turn, and it did. Uh, so Giannis, again, uh, it's always such a weird thing to say with him for to have twenty four, fourteen, six, two, and three, and say, "Well, look, he was he was pretty good," but you know, on a, on a night where he was overshadowed uh, to a degree by by Brook Lopez, 
still lots of room for improvement for Giannis, and and that's that's scary for the Raptors. Uh, I just want I just want to make a point on Milton because this was something I said yesterday on uh, one of the the pregame shows was I don't really care what Middleton scores in this series. I I don't like it, it. It does not bother me because if he's going to be able to keep Kawhi Leonard to shooting like he did last night, ten for twenty six uh, from the field. I couldn't care less if Milton goes from scoring 20 points to 11 because that's a game-winning effort from Milton on the defensive end. He did struggle to shoot. He was only 4 for 12, 1 for 6 and 3. He finishes with only 11 points, but he picks up 11 rebounds. He has four assists and, as I said, most importantly, keeps Leonard to 31 points. And let's not forget one of the more important defensive possessions of the game where... He just harassed Danny Green uh, above the perimeter tool. Danny Green basically just nearly tripped over his own feet. He was that he was that rattled by Middleton being in his face all the time. Middleton gets a steal, and that was for that Lopez dunk he talked about when the Bucks, you know, were really trying to put this game away. So I couldn't care less about Middleton scoring last night. For mine, he was one of the most important Bucks players on the roster. No, I, I completely agree with that. I think, and I think it will. I think he was one of the guys who suffered from a low variance night. Um, he was he made one late, but ends up one for six from three point territory. A big one, which, by the way, which shouldn't yeah, surprise anyone. One. No, Chris Chris Money Middleton is a sixteen game player. I'll die on that hill. But you know, if, if a couple more of his threes fall, all of a sudden it, it's not as low scoring of a game as it sort of appears to be. Um, I, I thought he had a couple good looks that didn't fall, and I thought some of his tough shot express looks were. Huge shots for yeah. Milwaukee. I mean, this guy is not backing down from anything. Best plus minus among the starters, by the way, for a guy who scores 11 points on 12 shots. But like you said, I mean, when you pick up the Kawhi Leonard assignment and you do a damn good job of it, I don't want to hear anybody. I, I completely agree. I don't want to hear anybody saying anything about Chris not scoring enough because Chris knows right now in this series against a team that outside of Kawhi, like we've talked about, doesn't have a lot of consistent offense. If you do a good job on that guy, that's more important than what he can add on on the other end, especially on a Bucks team where you know there's Giannis, there's himself, but there's guys like I mean, Brooke Lopez was the guy tonight. We know he can score points. We know most nights Nikola Mirotic is a guy who can give you an efficient near twenty points, and also the last guy, the big three here, sort of Eric Bledsoe, who. Every time he shoots, I wish that we could make it illegal for him to shoot before there's like two seconds on the shot clock in the state of Wisconsin and Canada. I just some of his threes, I they, they give me heartburn, they give me anxiety. I can't stand them. But when Eric Bledsoe drives with the basketball, I mean, it's you can tell why early on in his career his nickname was Mini LeBron because the guy is strong, he's crafty, he's smart, he can flip the ball out of there if he needs to, but such a great finisher through contact. Uh, He went on a solo run himself as well that I thought was huge, both for his sake as we give these constant updates on, oh, how's Bledsoe doing in the playoffs? A little rough early. He he bounced back to start the second half after not scoring in the first half. But I thought uh, just more of that from him is huge, especially because, I mean, you do have to account for Chris probably scoring less in this series with the tough – Toughest defensive assignment, you know, any buck could draw. 
Yeah, I, I uh, just on, on Bledsoe, you know, obviously his his shot is not falling from the outside at the moment. Uh, but like I always say with him, he just has to stay aggressive, as you said. And you know, when I looked at it at half time, and he only had three shot attempts, I, I kind of like it's not really good enough for him. He needs to be pushing the ball more. And we saw he had a little seven point. A uh, personal run. He only finishes with nine, but those seven points in the third quarter really—I I felt that's when the Bucks felt like, okay, okay, now we're, we're getting back in the game. We're doing what we want to do. The Raptors are starting to feel a little bit of pressure here, so that's what Bledsoe does. He, he controls the tempo of this team, and uh, end of the best scoring night. And when you look, well, Larry had thirty, and and Bledsoe. Uh, only had nine, and George Hill wasn't able to score in the night. You're like, okay, well, look, Kyle Lowry, you take you take uh, the battle in game one, but to have such a big disparity at the at the point guard spot and not get the win again for the Raptors, it it felt like. And look, we'll see, we'll see what happens in game two. But to me, that felt like a like a, a real backbreaker for the Raptors. I mean, it could have been a, a real series altering altering win, and and they just fell short. I think it ended up being a series-altering win. I just it right. wasn't that for Toronto. Right. Um, one, one other thing that's important, uh, ship station. <laughs> man, you're, you're like leaving it late today, man. I'm about to wrap yeah, this, this thing this up, is, but hey, go for it. This is a buzzer beater. We got we to gotta shout out to ship station. It's, it's very important to both of us. I mean, when you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. It's time-consuming. It's expensive. So many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? You do if you use ShipStation. That's why you need ShipStation. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. Get them out quickly. Save money on shipping costs. And you can keep your customers happy. And really, that's the most important thing. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. And right now, Eurostep listeners can try ShipStation free, no cost, for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. ShipStation.com, promo code BLUE. We just got to continue. If The Bucks need to continue making ship happen. I think that's the, the bottom line right now from this series. Yeah, no, it is. And uh, as I said... There's a late in the shot clock uh, ad read from, from Utah. But yes. four bounces. The ad read bounced four times, but it dropped. Right. But for for the Bucks now, uh, as we've sort of mentioned a couple of times, this series, there's there's no messing around with this series. There's none of this two days off, three days off, none of that, uh, none of that rubbish in this series. They're just one day off in between and they're gonna keep rolling the whole way through. So uh, the Bucks will practice today. I'll, uh, so it's it's very early. So whenever I don't know when this episode is going to drop. Hopefully in the next hour or so. But it's still before seven a.m. Uh, on on Thursday morning here. So the Bucks will practice today, and Game Two will be tomorrow night seven thirty at Fiserv Forum. The Bucks very easily could have been trailing one zip again in the series, but a, a huge fourth quarter and a, a just a, 
a, well, really a career game, a career playoff game for Brook Lopez. Uh, gets the Bucks a 108-100 victory. And as I said at the very top of this podcast, we were hoping for uh, to be able to be a little bit more positive than we were after game one. And I think we were certainly able to do that. Uh, game two, Friday night, as I said, at 7.30. And Ty, really, the Bucks are looking to take you know, a, a really, really commanding lead in this series going to Toronto. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, just one sort of last quick basketball thing. Personally, and I, I don't think this jives with what Bud does, so I don't, I don't know if it'll work. I would look at matching Giannis's minutes to Siakam's minutes. I don't think Siakam like kills you to such a degree when he's matched up with Ersan. I mean, he does, but I don't, I don't know if it like ruins the game for you. But I just think when Giannis was on him, it felt like he was so little a factor, and I just think that could be a decisive thing for the Bucks. That's one thing. I would like to see more of going forward, more attention and just taking away Siakam because then you force Lowry to be this good or somebody else to stand up for the Raptors to win. And, you know, now Toronto needs to win four of the next six to to take this series. Anytime you can make some life harder for one of the Raptors players, take one guy out, it just decreases the likelihood of those four wins. And, I mean, that's that's all that matters right now is making it out of here – getting those four wins for the Bucks, not letting the Raptors win. I don't know. I think it could be important going forward. Yeah, I don't totally disagree with that, but uh, I just don't think Bud really cares, <laughs> if I'm honest. I just don't think he cares. Yeah. He's just like, whatever, I've got my rotation, and I'm not going to change it unless it's a real disaster out there. So it's going to be interesting. As I said, Siakam played 42 minutes. I don't think Giannis is going to play 42 um, you know, in this series, uh, I, I mean, we'll see once they go to Toronto, maybe on the road, uh, when the team's under a little bit more pressure. We saw that against Boston. Giannis's minutes definitely went up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that the, the Raptors really only have three guys that are going to, that can win you a game uh, Leonard Siakam and Lowry. Lowry may have thrown his best punch already. That remains to be seen. I mean, I guess he could be a 75% three point shooter through this series <laughs> on nine shots a game. I mean, hey, it would be uh, it would be next level uh, Chris Middleton playoffs from last year type of stuff, but you never know. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, we're, we're I mean we're pushing fifty minutes here, so we will be back again, obviously in the post game for game two. Uh, you'll be watching that one, I, I, I assume from 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 home, or what's 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 the what's the plans? Probably home. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. Well, uh, I was just wondering, maybe you get down to fire service. I saw some of the shots last night, and that just looked like absolute chaos out there during the game, despite the fact there was 18,000 in the arena. So uh, it was also a beautiful night. It was 65 degrees. So people were out there in Milwaukee, but they'll be back again. That was on a weeknight. It's Friday night, as I said, 7.30 for game two of the Eastern Conference Finals. Ty, I will be talking to you after that game. And as I said, Maybe the Bucks will have a 2 0 lead. Maybe. Uh, this was promising toward toward that. So we'll uh, we'll see how it goes from there. But yeah, exciting start to the series. And you know, Bucks now three wins away from the NBA finals, which still doesn't entirely feel real. I don't know if it's really set in yet. First time Milwaukee would go there since 1974. Exciting times for Bucks fans, but yeah, we are running long here probably my fault 
with the uh, buzzer beater ship station ad. But thanks, everybody, for listening. We always appreciate it. We hope you continue to do so. We hope you tell your friends. We hope you rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Spotify, we're all over. Uh, Art19, we're there as well. Uh, and thank you, Kane. But, you know, we will uh, we will talk again after game two. And hopefully it's uh, another positive episode of the Eurostep. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.